Today's episode is brought to you by Annie's. Annie's Kit Clubs send you monthly shipments full of materials and instructions you need to make something beautiful. Choose from knitting and crochet to quilting, beading, card making, general crafting, and even kids crafts. No matter your age, interest, or skill level, Annie's Kit Clubs has something for you. Visit annieskitclubs.com slash kitclub50 to get 50% off your first shipment. That's annieskitclubs.com slash kitclub50. Thank you so much, Annie's. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 219 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about owning a local yarn shop with my guest, Rachel Bratcher. Ritual Dyes was created in 2017 by Rachel Bratcher, who is an avid maker and a true Libra. Ritual Dyes was born in Rachel's kitchen out of a love or obsession, really, with knitting and with creative control over all the things. Later, Rachel and her team moved out of her kitchen and established a neighborhood local yarn shop and dye studio in Southeast Portland, Oregon. Drawing inspiration from nature, the great Pacific Northwest, nostalgia, and the occult, Ritual Dyes cares deeply about our crafting community and about the community at large. Rachel Bratcher, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, I love your newsletter, by the way, which I get and um, think is just like a little piece of, I don't even know what, handcrafted beautiful that comes to my inbox. Um, and so we'll definitely talk about that because for me, oh, thank you. it's such a gorgeous thing that you create there. Um, but before we get there, I would love to start at the start. So tell us a little bit about where you um, grew up. Um, well, I grew up mostly, I will say just California because I really bounced all around California. Um, mostly in Los Angeles. Um, that's where I sort of, uh, spent like most of my childhood but uh, we moved up to northern california when i was um in high school and uh and then i went to school for college at uc santa cruz so i spent a lot of time um just kind of all over california and what did your parents do for work when you were growing up um my dad had a retail store um on melrose avenue which is like a popular sort of shopping district in los angeles um my mom helped there too, uh, also stayed home with us and then went back to school. Actually, my mom and I were both at UC Santa Cruz at the same time, which was pretty fun. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. So what kind of retail store did your dad have? Um, clothing, like okay. men's and women's clothing and pretty much throughout my whole childhood that's that's what he did was so uh, yeah small business owner right you grew up in that environment what did you yep. think about it when you were growing up do you remember what you thought about sort of being in that business um I think that I always I always kind of had that um that idea that working for yourself was uh was sort of a, a good plan and I always I always kind of uh did things like that, like my own little, you know, whatever that was at the time being a child, like small businesses, you know, um, kind of always coming from that perspective. That was definitely like pretty ingrained in me that, that, that style of work ethic. And my dad has a pretty strong work ethic, but, um, you know, just owning your own business and, and all of the sort of many hats that you wear doing that. Like I definitely watched him do lots and lots of different things to make his business successful. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's hard work. It's really hard work to, to have a retail clothing 
um, business. So interesting that you kind of grew up in that. When you went to um, school, and that's amazing that you were there with your mom. <laughs> My grandmother went to school to college um, in her mid sixties um, because nice. they had four kids and um, and one boy and three girls, and they could only afford to send one to college, and so they sent the boy, and so she never got to go, and so she went in her sixties, which I thought was great. But I've never heard of somebody who actually went to school at the same school at the same time as their mom. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was actually really, it was really fun. I mean, UC Santa Cruz is a huge campus. Um, so we, we would have to like plan to meet with each other. It wasn't like we were just sort of running into each other all over campus, but, um, but it was nice to have little scheduled coffee dates with my mom. Uh, uh that was like, you know, my first year not living at home. Um, yeah. So it was nice. Yeah. That's cool. I, I actually appreciate it. I wasn't like embarrassed or anything. It was, <laughs> fun. It was you, a fun experience. Yeah, you must have a good mom. So, um, so uh, what did you study while you were there? Um, I studied community studies, which is kind, of, which is probably more of like a Santa Cruz specific uh, subject to study, but um, but I really enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> it's pretty broad, and you know you can work for sort of different nonprofit organizations. A big part of the um, degree is field study. Um, so it's, it, it, uh, people went like all over and worked for so many different nonprofits to sort of, um, hone in on like what they were really interested in. And, uh, I worked with houseless youth of Santa Cruz County mm. and, uh, I did that for six months working with like a startup nonprofit and I, I really enjoyed it. It was, yeah. it was pretty it was a pretty great experience. Yeah, right. And, um, and you know, the work you're doing now is definitely different from that, for sure. But it is really based in community. Yes. And it is uh, that, you know, having that subject and, and, and working towards that degree really did um, kind of encompass a lot. And, and community at the core, which is a huge part of, you know, what I care about here in the in our little yarn shop is is reaching out with the reaching out to the community and having that connection and growing our little fiber community. Yeah, absolutely, and I feel like that's really what differentiates a local retail shop in the age of e-commerce is that it's a community. It's a it's a place where expertise resides, but it's also a place where you can go to connect, and that's something that is very different than just having every single style or every single color of a particular product, which is what e-commerce is best at. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that people come in here not always sort of knowing what they want and being able to kind of browse and, you know, figure it out during their time here. Whereas like I think when you're shopping online, a lot of times you kind of already have it exactly in your head what you want. Mm -hmm. You're just looking for that thing, which is great if that's what you need. But I think this, uh, having the experience of coming into a local yarn shop, you know, you get to kind of play around and because our, you know, the product is so tactile and so like, you know, the colors are so nuanced, like it is a different experience to be able to see it and feel it in person. Yeah. So were you a crafty? I know you said you had little entrepreneurial adventures when you were a child, but were they crafty related or were you a crafty, um, like kind of maker as a kid? I was always making things, um, uh, you know, successfully and unsuccessfully always making things, trying things, um, like, you know, a big, I did a lot of sewing, um, as a kid and, you know, I didn't get into knitting until I was an adult, but, um, but I was always making things. Okay. Yeah, me too. Um, and so, um, and so how did you learn to knit? Was that something you learned in college or later on? Later on, um, when I was, I was living in New York after, um, after college and I, someone taught me there from a local yarn shop, but, um, I don't know that they're still there. And I would just knit these like super, super long, (laughs) just knitting, 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 knitting scarves. Uh, and then I put that down for a long time and I didn't pick it back up again until, um, until I was pregnant with my first child. And then I was like, had it in my head that she needed this like baby sweater. Um, and, and that's when I started making garments and getting into the idea of like, you know, knitting things that I would really wear. And I made her a sweater. And then, you know, once I got into that, I started kind of figuring out what I really liked for myself, um, and making my own things, um, 
you know, knitting my own sweaters and stuff like that. And once I kind of, once I kind of figured out exactly what, um, what fit me well and what I, you know, liked wearing, it was, it was pretty great. Um, I, I think life cycle events like the birth of a child or a wedding, that kind of thing really often brings people back to crafting. That's such a common story. Um, so sure, that's interesting yeah. to hear. Yeah, I, I definitely find that to be true over and over again. So what had brought you to New York from the from California after college? Did you get a job there or something else? I didn't have a job there. Um, I did get a job when I moved there, but I've just really always had this sort of dream and, you know, to live in New York. And I loved uh, the idea of it. And <laughs> I did live there for about, I would say, I, I, I go by winters. I lived there for two winters and then I couldn't do another one. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> but I really enjoyed my time there. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was, it was super fun and inspiring. Um, but I just don't think I was completely cut out for for the weather. Okay, yeah, got it. So, um, so you mentioned that you, um, you have a a daughter, and that's what brought you back to knitting. So I'm assuming you moved back out to the West Coast after that. Yes, yes, moved back, um, moved back to Los Angeles, um, and lived there for another 10 years or so before moving up to, um, to Pacific Northwest to Portland. Okay. And, um, and really enjoying knitting. And, um, how did you begin dyeing yarn? Because that's a whole really, um, difficult and artistic enterprise that require, (laughs) you know, requires quite a bit of experimentation, a lot of learning along the way. Definitely. Um, I started because, uh, well, simply enough because I really wanted this very specific tone of gray Um, and gray is such like a you know color that you should be able to find everywhere but there's so many different um, subtle undertones with gray and I was finding a lot of like blue grays and I really wanted this kind of like neutral like almost brown undertone for gray so that was the first color that I just I just started working on it for myself purely like selfishly to you know based on the idea that I wanted it in this project and um so motivated by results and uh taught myself you know through just like reading online and um kind of gathering information that way how to how to kind of achieve that and once I got going with it I really enjoyed the process of dying I really enjoyed like um just, you know, all the different sort of layers and uh, just there's there's so much that um, there's so many different ways to take it. But I started dying for my friends and for myself, for my own projects. Um, and then I ended up uh, thinking like I could, you know, I could see myself kind of doing this, you know, in a bigger way. And um, I kind of put together a collection, presented it to my local yarn shop, which was a, at the time was Starlight Knitting, and they loved it. And I started uh, dying for for them, for you know, for their shop, and then and then opened it up to like other accounts. Okay, so you were dying and had sort of this um, maybe kind of like a limited or local wholesale enterprise going on. It, yeah, it was just that it was my first shop and I couldn't imagine dying like any more than I was dying for them, which at the time just felt like so much. Now it's what we do in, you know, half a day. But at the time it was <laughs> it was a lot to take on. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and you just walked in there. Had you been a customer or how did you get that first account? No, I had been a customer. I yeah, I love the shop and um you know kind of also just learn so much from being around. You know, that like at at when you go into a local yarn shop, like they will really like sit with you and show you stuff when you get stuck and like, you know, I I made a lot of like first attempts at things um with like their help. So this was sort of another another version of that. Like I, see. I showed them with like, you know, not a lot of expectation, um, but they they liked it right away, and it kind of gave me the confidence to um, 
to feel like I was on the right track. Right, right. Okay. And so you're using, you're dying out of your kitchen at that time. Um, yes. and, and sort of trying to, to make it go of this. And were you also working a day job or were you I home? I was. Okay. No, I was. I was, um, that was kind of my first job back was, um, I started, I took a job at my kid's school Oh. and, um, I was working as the handwork assistant, um, oh. at their school because they have a curriculum that encompasses handwork all the way from first to eighth grade. Um, so I was in all the classrooms from first to eighth grade doing all the specific, you know, different handwork projects for those classes. Wow. That's cool. Is that like a Montessori program or something? Yeah, they're similar? at a Waldorf school. A Waldorf. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's super uh, cool. Yeah, it was great. And it was, you know, it's, it's just part of the curriculum. So every grade has kind of its own, uh, focus and, uh, we did do some dyeing with the kids too. So I kind of had that exposure. It's natural dyeing that we do with them, with them. But, um, I, I, I enjoyed all of the classes actually, just all of the different ones. Yeah. Right. So, um, you have the community background and then this teaching experience, obviously with younger people, but, um, yeah, so interesting. Okay. And so you're doing this on the side. So, um, how did you decide to like ramp it up and maybe take on some other wholesale accounts? Um, talk, talk us through that stretch of the journey. Sure. Well, it got to the point where, um, where my dying business was growing and, you know, I have three kids, so having them all and and working this day job was definitely, I was stretched to my max. I was enjoying, you know, getting back to work and having, having that be part of my life again, um, but it was definitely getting to be a lot more than I could handle. So I had to let go of my day job and I just fully immersed myself in ritual dyes. I see. Yeah, that does sound like a lot. I have three kids too, and oh, it's a lot. <laughs> so, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Um, definitely certain days more than others, but yes, it's a lot. So, okay, so then you started just doing that. that and that's more flexible. I mean, not that it's not intense um, to run a dye business, but at the same time, it's in your own home. So you're not like bound by hours of work right. that somebody else is imposing. You don't have to commute anywhere. Um, and theoretically, I guess you can kind of pick it up and put it down as needed. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, when I was doing the day job and, and ritual dies, I was dying at night. Uh, so just really kind of stretching myself. And then with my day job, you know, off my plate, I was able to die while the kids were at school and then have kind of a regular afternoon with them. So it definitely worked out um, yeah. better with my schedule. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's great. So you're able to grow this business, invest in it, be creative, um, and have your own time to structure. Um, and so um, at what point were you like, hey, I want to open up my own yarn store? Because that's a completely different venture. Obviously, you'd grown up in retail, but still, like, that's a big, big leap. Yes, it happened. Uh, it happened kind of organically only because uh, I had already taken this retail spot um, and had been once we moved out of my house, we moved into the space that we're in now, um, simply because it was a really great setup for dying. Before we took over, it was a screen printing oh. um, business that was in here. So they had like a very messy basement with like big sinks and right. it was kind of perfectly set up for a dye house. Um, you know, they had the venting already in place mm. and it's pretty unusual to find like a retail space that has, you know, a full size basement. And so I felt like it was a, a great fit, but we didn't open it as a retail store. I kept it just as, you know, our offices and we shipped everything out of here. Um, but the space, you know, we had already been here for two years before I opened it as a retail. And I did that during the pandemic um, because we had let go of doing all of the, you know, kind of bigger industry shows like we had been doing up until that point, um, you know, because of because of the pandemic, obviously, that, you know, those were kind of off the table. Um, but being able to open and kind of still connect with our community and still have people like physically see the product was possible on this sort of smaller scale. Um, and so that's what motivated me to to open as a retail shop. Today's episode is brought to you by Annie's. Annie's is your one-stop shop for all your crafting needs. They sell materials, tools, magazines, and exclusive patterns. Annie's is the home of several elite crafting experts who are always designing new patterns and delivering polished video tutorials. Today, I'm focusing on Annie's Kit Clubs because these clubs make crafting easier and more accessible than ever. 
Annie's Kit Clubs are subscription programs that send you a new shipment every four weeks or even every two weeks if you so choose. And these shipments have the materials and expert instructions needed to make something beautiful. They have over 25 different clubs, so no matter your age, interest, or skill level, Annie's Kit Clubs have something for you. Annie's Kit Clubs offer subscriptions for knitting and crochet, sewing and quilting, fabric, bead making, card making, general crafting, and kids crafting. Inspire your kids with a variety of crafts, woodworking kits, and even STEM learning projects. For adult crafters, Annie's Kit Clubs make it easy to try different skills with general crafting or learn to knit or crochet through their Afghan programs. For knitters and crocheters looking for a new challenge, Annie's Moroccan Tile and Mandala Afghans will walk you through the new techniques with gorgeous results. Quilters can also build their fabric stashes with Annie's Fabric Club, sending new collections of your favorite pre-cut sizes every month. They have too many clubs to talk about, so you will have to just see for yourself. So visit annieskitclubs.com slash kitclub50 to get 50% off your first shipment. That's annieskitclubs.com slash k-i-t-c-l-u-b-5-0, all one word, and get your first shipment at 50% off. Thank you so much, Annie's. And now back to my conversation with Rachel. Okay, so prior to COVID, you were doing things like TNNA or um, stitches or Rhinebeck or some of those. Yep. Yeah, some of those bigger, you know, sort of trade shows, uh, which allowed like us to kind of really connect with our customers in person. Those were kind of the times that we did that. Um, but this, you know, has been a really nice sort of transformation because I, because we're really able to connect with our local community and, and our other customers when they're, you know, visiting Portland. Like we've been seeing a lot more of that with um, summer approaching. Right. And the location, uh, the, the, the space sounds really ideal. Um, is it in kind of a central shopping area? Like, are you getting foot traffic to the store or is it a kind of a destination? Like you have to drive over to this sort of warehouse district or something? (laughs) No, it is. It's actually, um, we're in inner Southeast and, uh, in a location like by lots of brunch spots and, you know, sort of different food and retail. So there's quite a lot of just natural foot traffic. Um, we're really close in, so it's pretty accessible to, you know, from everywhere. Yeah. In area. yeah. And then to transform the space, I mean, obviously it was COVID. And so you're not having, you know, crowds of people coming in. Um, it sounds like in the beginning, it was probably pretty, right. pretty yes. small numbers of visitors at, at once. But um, to transform a space like this, um, where the, the dying's taking place in the basement, but I'm guessing like the offices are upstairs into right. a place where the public can come in and shop, that must have been um, a challenge. Well, it's, it's very separate. Like, um, the ground floor is our retail space and it's not large, but from the minute we moved in here, uh, I did all the sort of transformation because I couldn't, uh, I needed, I needed to work in a place that, you know, kind of reflected some beauty. So we painted the walls right away and sort of had a lot of things kind of already in place. Um, just, just as a sort of inspiring, working environment. Uh, the downstairs is, uh, where everything is sort of messy and creative and that stayed the same. So it was really just about getting a lot more fixtures to put things up on the wall because of the shape of uh, the shape of the shop. Everything kind of has to go vertically. Okay. Um, and how did you come up with the name ritual dyes? Um, you know, I am a big creature of comfort and I think like the I have a lot of kind of my own personal rituals, uh, like my coffee in the morning, things like that. But also just um, I felt like there was sort of this ritual around dying. And it was kind of this time for me where I could just really be creative and uh, let go of kind of all of the sort of other things that needed to take place. And it kind of it kind of was a ritual for me to be able to just focus on the creative part of dying and kind of get lost in the work. So it, it seemed, it felt fitting to me because that really was a ritual for me to be able to sort of 
let go of all that stuff and and really be able to enjoy the creative process. Yeah, so it almost describes like a flow state. Who drew your logo? Because you've got this super cool logo. It's very almost, I would say, ethereal. Um, it, it has a, a hand, am I right? Um, yes. And some stars and things. Did you draw that? I did not draw that. Um, I actually, my initial logo, you know, I researched an artist online who did that for us, um, for me. And then, uh, we've since kind of revised it. I have, um, an employee here, Irene Walkler, who does basically everything that you see in terms of art for the shop. She's just an incredible artist. And every time we offer like a seasonal collection, she does all of the sort of custom, um, custom drawings that end up on those project bags and she redesigned our labels. So we're very lucky to have her here. And um, she's definitely in tune with kind of the ritual dyes style. Yeah. Okay. That is, that's cool. And so were you selling online either had a wholesale site when you were just doing, you know, wholesale or, um, or had a, direct to consumer site when you were just doing wholesale back in the day like was e-commerce part of this equation from the beginning um i think it was pretty uh pretty early on that i that i incorporated that um i definitely started small but that was like one of the first things that i added on um i just kind of had this like sort of um i did it sort of took off more i would say in the last uh you know, maybe not the very first year, but after the first year, that was like a big part of the business. And that so was the last four years or so. And that was selling direct to consumer, like just yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so people, through the website, right? And connecting with customers directly, directly. Okay, and can do you have a wholesale side of that too, like where your wholesalers can go and place an order? Um, it's a little bit more direct to us for wholesale. For wholesale. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're a bit limited in what we can right. offer and how, you know, how many. So we do, we do kind of uh, keep that separate. Right. Okay. All right. And is your e-commerce site on Shopify or a different platform? We use Shopify. Yeah. I love, uh, I love using the platform that we have. I, I did have a WordPress site before that and it was not as user-friendly. Yeah. Shopify is, <laughs> Shopify is definitely easier and, um, uh, and more user-friendly than WordPress. Yeah. Yes. That's for sure. And did you ever consider selling on Etsy? You know, um, not really. I, I kind of had this, uh, it was, it was easier for me to reach people through Shopify and through Instagram and some other, you know, other platforms rather than Etsy. Um, I never sold on Etsy really. Okay. I didn't, didn't find as much, um, sort of engagement there. Um, and you now carry fabric as well as yarn. Is that right? Yes. We, ex- you know, expanded every, you know, every offering in the shop to kind of include a broader, uh, like different crafts. So sewing for sure, because there's so much crossover between knitters and sewists and it's nice to, you know, we don't have a huge selection, but I have, um, I carry Merchant and Mills, which I love. And I carry Robert Kaufman. Um, and both of those lines have beautiful linens and cottons and um, some tencel. And so I, I think it, um, it works for a lot of sewists that are looking for some of these projects, like from Sew Liberated um, or, uh, you know, some of the Merchant and Mills patterns that Sonia Phillip patterns that, that really pair well with knit, knitwear. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's fun to have them both here. Yeah, I like that idea that these are patterns that pair well with knitwear. That's interesting. And I just made the So Liberated studio tunic and it was great. Oh, so, so cute. Yeah. Yes, I love, I love their patterns. I think that they're, you know, that the approach is really user-friendly and, um, and then I just think that they're they're super cute and I, I do I do like the way they look with knitted sweaters and um I think Meg is a knitter so it makes sense right. that she'd be coming from that perspective yeah that's a neat way to think about it and um and then you also carry um some punch needle I saw um a kit collaboration that you had done with Aruna from Buku yes I am such a fan of Aruna and her work um and she created these sort of um plant motifs using our elder base and I think they're so, so beautiful. And I love, um, I love the, I think that Punch Needle is, 
very rhythmic and pretty addictive once you get going with it. And do you have embroidery too? We do. I have embroidery um, and I have uh, some crochet stuff. I have a little bit of everything. It's a small space, but um, I did try to incorporate a lot of different crafts because I feel like, uh, you know, if you're a maker, you're a maker and it's it's fun to try new things. Yeah, I do feel like... Um... You know, what, what I'm seeing in, in retail and sort of local or independent craft retail is diversification is one of the keys to sort of, you know, we talked about community expertise, but also a diversification in the product assortment um, mm-hmm. is one of the keys to sort of longevity because, you know, people might buy fabric in the summer and then yarn in the winter or. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know if you've, you thought that that was also the case. I think that's true just from my own, you know, personal experience. I feel like there are times when I'm really motivated for like sewing projects um, and times when I, it's only about knitting for me. So I think it, it does it does lend itself well to have lots of different options, um, you know, and we just started this crafting circle the last month and the, and the people that are coming bring like everything. It's not it, we didn't you know, I didn't call it a knit night because it truly is like a crafting circle and there are people that bring weaving or even just like darning and mending and, you know, so many different kinds of projects. It's a huge range. Yeah. I love that idea of not calling it a knit night, but calling it a crafting circle or something similar because it does invite more people to come and bring a larger variety of projects. So how does this circle work? It's one evening of the week and it and it's in the store and just anyone can come. Is there food? Do you have things like set out like like scissors and things like that? Or or how does it and is there is there someone on hand to help out or how does there this work? Is, yes. It's every Thursday from four to seven. So we keep the shop open a bit later. Um, we clear the main table. We have, you know, this kind of long main table in the center of the shop. It's all cleared and there's chairs all around it. So people just come, they bring whatever project they're working on. We do have like drinks out. Um, It's just kind of social time. And, you know, I have people that will reach out and be like, but I can't knit. Can I come anyways? Um, Because they're working on like a paper craft or something else. So really anything goes for, um, you know, what kind of project to work on. And it invites people to kind of take a look at what other people are sort of working on too, which is cool. There's a lot of, um, a lot of conversation and it's just a fun way to connect with the local fiber community. Uh, A lot of, a lot of new knitters came out of the pandemic, um, and haven't had like that sort of social piece with, uh, with the knitting community. And for a lot of people, it's kind of their first time to be able to like work side by side with somebody else and, you know, see what they're working on and kind of get inspired in that way. And do people buy products while they're there surrounded by products? (laughs) They can. I mean, it's here and it's available for that. Um, But it's not the focus. It's really just about uh, getting out and, you know, chatting with other people and having that kind of social time. And you also carry kind of um, notions like a curated selection of high quality or like beautiful, you know, tools that people can use. Like you have... Um, fabric scissors and things like that. So what are you thinking about? Because, you know, as a store owner, and I'm assuming you're the key buyer, um, you can buy whatever you want. And so how do you decide when you're looking? (laughs) We talked about Robert Kaufman and Merchant and Mills. um, But when you're thinking about, okay, well, do I want to, you know, go ahead and buy this, you know, needle minder or whatever? How are you thinking about making those decisions? Yes. Well, I definitely, I like to carry things that, um, you know, that are unique in this area, but functionality is first. Um, but beauty is very close on the heels of functionality for me and it really has to be both. Uh, so if I'm looking at, you know, bringing scissors into the shop, I want them to work very well for the job, but also be just aesthetically pleasing. That's really, uh, you know, I think that there's a beautiful version of basically every tool. And that's kind of what I've curated for the shop as much as possible. Right. That's because that's kind of inspiring to work with tools that are that are really well made that, you know, someone has put a lot of time and energy into developing. um, And, you know, and that so it's functional and pretty. That's those are kind of my two main things that I look at. And that's what people are coming to a local store for anyway, because you could always go to one of the big box craft stores if you just needed a plain pair of like orange Fiskars. 
Right. And that's fine too. But I think that because we have such a small space, I'm kind of forced to, to really curate and kind of like dial down to like my very favorite things. So the shop is truly filled with the things that I love the most and the things that I use. And how do you find these things? Are you looking in some kind of wholesale distributor catalog? Are you on Instagram and DMing particular, you know, makers or manufacturers to say, I'm interested in this and you're like stumbling upon it um, or some other way? Like, how are you sort of finding new products to, to stock? I would say all those ways. Like sometimes I'll just, you know, see something that someone's using and ask them about it. But a lot of the products that I have in the shop are just ones that I've personally used for a long time so that I, I feel really like confident that, that they work well. You know, like we have Haya Haya needles. Those are my personal favorite for metal needles um, and the Leica needles for you know, for wood, I use both of those, um, depending on the type of yarn that I'm using and, um, in my project. So I already, I already had the good personal relationship with pretty much everything that's here, but I also look for new stuff and, um, yeah, I find that through Instagram or just, you know, yeah, all over. Mm -hmm. Just sort of always keeping your eye out for that cool, interesting thing that, catches your eye, I guess. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. And I know you started a subscription program. This is the first year it ran and it sounds like it was pretty successful because you're going to be doing it again in um, the year to come. And, um, and so, you know, I, I do see this popping up more and more now, the yarn subscription program. So I guess um, it would be good if you could walk us through your thinking as to why do this, because of course, once somebody signs up, right, they're, you're obligated to fulfill that order. And that could sometimes feel burdensome because it's like, oh, gosh, we have, you know, this number, we have to do this, we have to dye this yarn and get this out the door by this date and that sort of thing. So but there's positives to it, too, as far as like recurring revenue and things like that. So walk us through the thinking of like, okay, I'm going to start a subscription box. Absolutely. Yeah, I haven't I haven't really done it before. This was the first uh, the first year and we're almost at the end of um, at the end of the first year. But the inspiration for this one um, was birthstones of the month. And so that actually was a really good kind of starting point because the sort of color inspiration was really built in from the beginning. I think, you know, most months have two or more birthstones to choose from. But um you know, in this way, basically, the customer will receive a uh, full skein of yarn every month. Um, the color is a mystery until they open their package, but it's based on that month's um, birthstone. So it's been it's been a very fun experience um, for us here to dye up these colors and um, and just be really kind of creative with them. And, uh, you know, it's not part of the permanent collection, so it doesn't have to fit into any specific like need in our lineup. It can just be, you know, a fun colorway. Um, so that's, that's pretty liberating for, uh, for sort of like your, cre the creative part to be able to just make something that, you know, with no other objective than just to surprise someone in their mailbox. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's and, been awesome. And so the customer can sign up, um, like each quarter for the next yes. three months? Is that how it, it works? Yes. So I have some customers that have signed up for the whole year. They knew right away that they'd be in. Um, and then they'd have, you know, all 12 months. Uh, but you can sign up quarterly as well. And, you know, so you give it a try. Of course, you can cancel whenever you want. So it gives, there's a lot of flexibility. I also did three different bases. Um, so if you, you know, use fingering weight more, or DK, or if you're really interested in like our mohair base, which is our Fay base, all of those um, could be dyed up for the subscription. I see. Yeah. So it gives people um, some preference when they're yes. signing up as to what they would like to work with exactly. the most. And as far as running a subscription box, when it comes to like payments and that sort of thing on Shopify, did you need to get a specific, I don't know, plugin or, I did, yes. okay, do you have any recommendations there? Cause I know this is something a lot of people are like, what, how do I get this set up? You know, I used one that I think is pretty new. Um, okay. I think it's, um, Appsol, A-P-P-S-L-E. Um, and I, I ha there, you know, there are a few things that I think may get a little bit complicated, but overall I it's worked really well. Okay. Um, so it does automate most everything. Which right. I can't imagine trying to do it without something like this. Yeah. And but, I think um, sometimes it's like people feel, oh, I can't do this because I don't 
know how to automate it and, and, or it's going to just be so time consuming, but, but just know that there are these apps out there oh, that can yeah. make this happen for you. <laughs> yeah. I don't see how, I think that would be very hard. Um, but the subscription app makes it, um, makes it really pretty doable and, uh, and streamlines the process. It connects to Shopify. So it kind of does all of that backend work for you. That's so terrific. Yeah, really, really important. And so I also noticed you have some, um, very cool, um, garments thrown in there now, like, um, t-shirts and sweatshirts and tote bags. Um, and is this part of sort of like making the shop almost have signature products where, you know, you go there, you can only, you can only get it with through you sort of thing, or is there another reason for, um, for expanding in that way? Um, I think that people have been, well, people have been asking me for a while for like t-shirts or sweatshirts that are, you know, like ritual dyes. We do a lot of stuff that is, um, you know, seasonal, but nothing that's like so specific for the shop. So this is kind of our first um, run on that, but but it's been very well received. And it's fun, I think now to, especially having like a, a local yarn shop to have like merchandise that is specific to the shop. Cause especially for, you know, people that are our regular customers, uh, whether they're here or far away, it's kind of fun. Um, and then we have such a specific kind of style, I think aesthetically too, that that comes across. It's, it's, uh, you know, in the sort of design for the t-shirts and stuff. Yeah. And I think when you, you were talking about people visiting Portland more now yeah, as things have opened up and, um, I, I find, I mean, I always go to the local craft store of whatever the sort there is when I travel. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners do too. And, oh, you know, as a visitor, you want something that's going to be memorable to that particular visit. So something that is unique to that store, that area, that region. And so Absolutely. it's important to sort of come up with products that are signature in that way. Definitely. I think people come when they come to the shop, they really, um, they're looking at our hand dyes because they're, you know, dyed right on site, which is, which is pretty unique and fun. And then certainly picking up like a t-shirt or a sweatshirt is, is a fun way to sort of, you know, have kind of a, a little crafty souvenir. I do right. the same thing every time I travel to, you know, anywhere. I want to see what the, the local yarn shop is like and what they've got and what their sort of, um, you know, specific things that they have that are local to the area. And how important is beautiful photography to the success of this business? Because you have really beautiful photography. So oh, thank you. Yeah, I don't know who's taking the photos, whether it's you or a mix of other people, but how important is that piece? Uh, it's well, to me, it's it's very important. Um, I I I think that like what drew me to Instagram was just you know the the photos and like the inspiration that you get from just looking at something. Um, in a, in a photo form that is pretty. So I do take all the pictures, um, unless sometimes, you know, for different things, we'll have a photographer and I'll always credit that. But, um, but I take the, the product, uh, photos when we do stuff up in the store and, um, I do, I actually really enjoy the photography piece of it. It's really fun for me. It's kind of another creative outlet. Um, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy sort of the composition of taking pictures and, uh, I started playing around with, you know, taking self portraits and stuff just because, you know, if we get a sample in, I think it's important for people to see how it looks on. It's hard to kind of illustrate how it looks on a hanger as much. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take my own pictures in that way too. And it's been a really awesome process for me. I've enjoyed it very much. And how did you learn how to use your DSLR? Did you just figure it out through trial and error? Did you take a class? Uh, well, I think I, I did get some help. Um, my partner is a good photographer, uh, but mostly just trial and error. And I think I got a camera that is like above my skill level, which sort of compensates for my lack of knowledge in a way Uh, that's kind of worked out for me. Um, but yeah, I do, I do like it. And I would love to talk about marketing um, because that's obviously a big part of the success of a store. And you mentioned earlier your newsletter, um, or I mentioned earlier your newsletter. Yes. Your newsletter is so beautiful. Um, yeah. So anyone who hasn't subscribed to the Ritual Dice newsletter, you should absolutely go do that. And even if it's just to see what a beautiful newsletter can look like. And so could you walk us through the elements that are in this newsletter, sort of you're thinking when you were like, okay, well, this, we're going to put this in where, cause they, it, it has a, a structure, you know, that's somewhat reliable. Like it, it's, yes. it mostly always is 
similar um, in, in the structure of the content. So I'd love to hear your, your thought process behind designing that. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I love the newsletter. I love doing the newsletter. It's like a great, it's been a really nice way um, to kind of just put together. I, I write one every week. I spend a lot of time writing it. Um, I take, you know, most all the pictures for it. And just to kind of highlight what we're focusing on for that week, what we just got into the shop or, you know, what project, you know, we're sort of working on or what's coming up. I think uh, what's nice about connecting to newsletter subscribers is uh, just being able to, to kind of check in with them on a regular basis and, tell them, you know, kind of what we're up to. I always try to give newsletter subscribers like all the sort of perks that um, that I don't really put out there on IG. Like if we ever have any sales or, you know, if there's something that um, kind of more like behind the scenes stuff too. I like to share a lot of that in the newsletter. Um, and then I round it out with, uh, you know, suggestions for things or things that I've been interested in and, you know, that, that aren't necessarily like knitting related, but it's kind of a, I definitely have like a template that I work from because um, that makes it easier to, you know, to, uh, to be able to make this happen every week. Yeah. And, and when you were talking about that section, that's sort of other things that have caught your eye or it, it, those are almost, to me, it almost feels like, okay, if I were in the store and we were talking, you might say to me, oh, I was just drinking this really good tea, you know, um, you should check it out. You know, like if we were just having right. a conversation about like your mug of tea or something like that. It is kind of like yeah. That. And so you would recommend the tea and it's like, yeah, <laughs> you don't sell the tea, but it doesn't really matter because it's like, right. that's part of our conversation. I do kind of think of it like that. That's a really good way to put it. It is sort of just like things that I've, you know, been enjoying and some, and those are just kind of recommendations of personal stuff that I've liked and not necessarily anything that, yeah, that I'm selling, but just you know, other projects that people are working on. It can be anything. Right. And I think sometimes people are hesitant. Well, why would I want to link outside of my product assortment? Like, why would I want to send people away? You know, but, um, but I think that there's another argument to say, like, people know that that little gift is in there. And these are things that Rachel likes. And I like what Rachel likes. So I'm probably going to like it. And I'm going to open this newsletter because I want to know what she likes. You know, so that piece is yeah, important. I think if, yeah, I think it feels like, like kind of like what you're saying, a bit more of a dialogue, you know, yeah. and I have people that write me when they get their newsletter and, you know, kind of tell me answers to sort of some of the things that I talk about. And it's just a conversation. And, and that's kind of how I view it. And you always have um, your signature in there, and it's actually a signature, um, and, a, <laughs> and a picture of you. Um, and yes. I think that those two things are also very important because they make this feel like a letter that came from a person. Yeah, that's definitely how I like it to feel. Like, it, it, is, it is that to me when I'm writing it. I'm kind of writing, like, everything, that, everything that's been going on here, everything that I've been up to, um, and you know, kind of just making sure to sort of connect with everybody in a, in a, in a more personal way, like more than I can on a platform like Instagram, I guess. Yeah. A little bit more personal. And more than, right. Definitely more personal. Cause it's, it's not public, right. When you send a newsletter, it goes no, into somebody's right. inbox. And so it's between Absolutely. you as a person and that person and that's it. Um, so there, so when someone hits reply, that's not in like a public feed where everybody's going to be like, Oh, what did she say? You know, it's like, it's private. So that's nice too. But also the intimacy of the letter sounds is, is what differentiates again, you from a big box yarn store, because you know, Michael's isn't going to send you a one-on-one letter from Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably not going to look like mine if they do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, and that's what people want. You know, they want that one-on-one relationship. And so you're providing that through that newsletter, which I think is really, really important and, and very well done. Um, so, um, so I know you're, you're back to, to getting out there a little bit more as the pandemic reaches, I don't know what phase we're in now, but the phase we are in now. And, um, will you be going, um, to Rhinebeck in New York in the fall? I am going to be going. Um, I'm excited to go and I'm going to be vending at Woolen Folk, um, which is kind of a, a offshoot venue that's happening on the Friday before um, the weekend of Rhinebeck. So I think Rhinebeck is Saturday and Sunday mm. and Woolen Folk is taking place on Friday, but it's 
in the same area. And um, I'm looking forward to to being there. I did not uh, have a chance to do it last year when, when they first started. Right. This is the second year of that. This will be their second year. Yeah, that's great. Okay, good. Well, it's exciting to get back out into the world and actually interact with, you know, people and designers and makers from other parts of the world. So yes, that'll be a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. yeah. It's a good way to connect with, you know, all of uh, my friends and customers and stuff that we have on the East Coast. Uh, it, because that's local for them and um, a bigger travel for me. But I enjoy I enjoy being out there and kind of getting that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to make sure we get to your recommendations. So you wanted to recommend Radical Threads, which I love as well. This is a new fiber publication. Um, so tell us about it. Do you carry it or do you subscribe to it? Or what do you how are you interacting with Radical Threads? I just brought it into the shop. Um, so we have their second issue. Uh, it's filled with beautiful projects and it's so, it's, it's nice to see, um, a new fiber publication out. I'm really excited for them and I think it's a, I think it's a great magazine. Yeah, absolutely. So go check that out and you can follow Radical Threads on Instagram too if you want to kind of get a taste. Um, and then Beam Paints, that's B-E-A-M. And I have not tried these. They sound super interesting though. Yes, check them out. Um, so we we do a seasonal collection um, for every summer solstice, uh, spring equinox, you know, and so on. So we do have them as part of they're going to be making an appearance in our summer solstice, which is very much right around the corner. Um, but we otherwise don't have them in the shop, but they are a beautiful company that make gorgeous watercolors. Um, and I'm, I, I really love what they do. I think it's really cool and you should definitely check it out. Yeah. And again, both of these are along the lines of what you were mentioning earlier, that something needs to be both useful and beautiful. And I think mm-hmm. both of those two actually fall into that category. Um, and then the last one is an Instagram account that I have not seen either. It's called Black Forager. Yes. Black Forager is amazing. I, I love the content that they put out. Um, it's essentially truly just foraging for, you know, plants and herbs and making them into all kinds of different useful things. But, um, it's very entertaining Mm. and really clever. Okay, this is good. And and aligns with people who might like um, indie dyeing, uh, sorry, natural dyeing, not indie dyeing, people who might, right. might like to find um, dye stuff that you can, you know, source in your forest near you or Absolutely. things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they touch on that. It's really... It's it's a it's a fun account to follow. Okay, that's great. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Oh, thanks so much, Abby. Thank you for having me. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Annie's. Annie's Kit Club send you monthly shipments full of the materials and instructions you need to make something beautiful. Choose from knitting and crochet to quilting, beading, card making, general crafting, and even kids crafts. No matter your age, interest, or skill level, Annie's Kit Clubs have something for you. Visit annieskitclubs.com slash kitclub50 to get 50% off your first shipment. That's annieskitclubs.com slash kitclub50. Thank you so much, Annie's. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.